3: Welcome to the show. It's the Tuesday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. I am Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and I'm absolutely thrilled that you took the time to tune in today. This is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions or life questions, whatever is going on in your heart or in your mind, that that we can give you sort of a biblical perspective. We'd love to be able to do that, and all you have to do is call us. You can dial two one zero three four. that's 340-9585 if you're outside the local area you can call toll free at 877-630-KSLR that's 630-5757 you can email questions to us by emailing questions at CalvarySA.com or send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app Uh, if you're driving in your car the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app app hit the call now button and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer once more three four zero ninety five eighty five this is the first day that i can remember in all the years we've been doing this program that we didn't have any questions waiting for us from the email site so we would love your live phone calls let's go first and foremost to charles calling from san antonio on lines one charles thanks for calling you're on the air Hi, Pastor. i
4: have a question um My wife became ill and ended up in the hospital um, over the weekend. And when I called her family, like her father and stuff like that, you know, to to give them a heads up let them know what's going on, her dad told me that she got ill because all she does is watch the shows called Ghost Stories. And she opened up portals and and let demons in the house, and, and that's what got her sick. How true is that?
3: it's not true at all charles yeah your wife i'm assuming is a believer oh yes Okay, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, we've got all of this uh, prosperity teaching and faith teaching and casting out demon teaching. The truth is the Holy Spirit seals us and we're his. The devil cannot talk us. First John, I think it's chapter 5, verse 18, says that the enemy can't harm us, certainly apart from the will of God. And uh, so, Charles, that's just uh, superstition. It's bad teaching. Uh, your wife, uh, watching ghost stories, may not may, may be of question television taste, but there's certainly uh, no opportunity for ghosts or anybody else or demon spirits to get in hurt her, so please don't worry and make sure she understands that that's not the case um, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world, and he loves your wife and he's going to protect her as much as he can from those kind of things now, bad things happen, we get sick and, and our bodies wear out and we get diseases, but uh, demons have nothing whatsoever to do with it I hope that encourages yeah. you Oh, yes. Thank you. Okay, Charles. Thank you for calling. I appreciate it very, very much. I think Charles was a new caller, first time I've heard uh, that name with that voice. Here is a question that was sent in from Jamal. He said, how should we balance doctrine and personal intimacy with Jesus? Which is more important? Jamal, this is a question that gets right to the core of who we are as Christians and the kind of life that we live. So I'm so grateful that you asked. Um, You can't separate the two. There's no balance because we simply can't separate the two. two. Uh, Doctrine is important. Paul writes to Timothy at the end of his life, watch your life and doctrine closely. So we need to have solid doctrine. We need to have a good foundation for our faith. um, And that doctrine tells us who Jesus is. But the sort of the dessert in our relationship with God is the time, the intimacy that we have with Him um, relationally. Uh, What value is there to, I'm sorry, what value is there to, to know everything there is about Jesus but not have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ based on love and zeal and passion? So I don't think there's any balance. I think we desperately need both things if we focus only on doctrine or primarily on doctrine. Again, you can know a lot of really good things, but none of those things will have any value because apart from the presence of Jesus, we're still going to mess up, we're still going to sin, and then sin is going to cut off any possibility of relationship without repentance. Uh, On the other hand, um, if we spend all of our time trying to get goosebumps from Jesus you know we can work things up we can meditate and we can um, um, have pictures of God in our mind floating around uh, that's not intimacy with the real Jesus uh, those are times when we're actually opening ourselves up for demonic interference so the, 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 the goal is a perfect balance between the two is to be all in on both you know, Jamal, when I was, I'm not a, a super emotional guy. Uh, the older I get and the more in love with Jesus I get, I guess I get a little bit more emotional. But I'm a logical person. Things need to make sense to me. And when I was a brand new believer and started to read about Jesus, when I started to really understand um, the, the, the depth of doctrine that were given in the Bible, it thrilled me and did nothing but increase my level of personal intimacy with the Lord. Uh, I'm not a person, I'm not a music person. You know, Music invokes a lot of emotions. And I can look at Paula sing, sitting next to me during worship and tears running down her eyes. And, and I'm just thinking, oh, wow, like that song, it's okay, you know, thank you, Jesus, kind of thing. But it's not, it's not an emotional moment for me. Um, but I can open the Bible. Or Paula can read it to me, and he'll start sharing his heart with me. And that's when I get those personally intimate moments that I absolutely treasure. Then when I take some time, Jamal, and walk with the Lord, and spend time away from phones, away from distractions, just me and him walking on the street together. That's when the reality of all of the doctrine comes into focus. I will say this, if I had no Bible but still sacrificed time alone with Jesus, I'd be okay. But I can only say that, Jamal, because I've already developed a foundation in doctrine. I know enough, I've memorized enough to know who he is and what he's done for me. And also, I would add, to know what my response to him ought to be. So I just want to spend time with him. And the real bonus in all of this is that the more you spend time with him, the more he's going to send you running into the Word for healthy, balanced doctrine. So, Jamal, it's a good question. Um, but it's not one or the other. Uh, it's both um, Leads to a rich life. Jean wants to know, Pastor Ron, will there be a second chance for salvation after we die? Jean, the answer is no. Um, If you come from a Catholic tradition, they would say yes. You go to a place called purgatory and you can be prayed out, or people can do good deeds on your behalf, or they can give and and sort of give you out of purgatory. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says it's appointed unto men once to die and then to face the judgment. There's no interim state. The idea of a purgatory or a, a second chance is foreign to anything in our scripture. And Jean, this is a, a question that that sort of validates my response to the doctrine question and the, and the intimacy question with Jesus. Um, if you come from a church tradition that re, church uh, tradition that relies on uh, the, the traditions taught by the church or puts them on an equal level with the Word of God, then you're lost and you end up with really goofy doctrines like this. Um, I've told the story before of a, a friend of mine who was a, a manager of a market who was held up, it was a big news story in Southern California, had a shotgun uh, literally duct-taped to the back of his head uh, for hours, it was on the news and, and um, um, obviously he got out of it okay. But when I asked him afterwards, i have been sharing Jesus with him for, for a long time, and he just was never really interested. He's a nice guy, and he, he uh, it was never difficult for us, but, but he, uh, he just said, I said, well, well, are you ready to receive Jesus now? I mean, you came that close to dying. And his response to me was, you know, Ron, I still think we're going to get a second chance. And what he was really saying, Gene, was, I can have fun here. I can do what I want here. And still get another chance I'll take my chances with that. And it's all because of that traditional Catholic teaching of Purgatory. No second chances Jean, don't wait. 3409585 here is a question from no nope. Jim is on the line I'm told I don't have that on my screen yet. Jim, if you're on the line you're on the air
4: hey ron yeah that's me um hi jim i'm uh a, i'm a, hi I, i'm a guy who uh i have yep, talked to you before you know mm-hmm. church member my whole life but not born again till i was about 42 43 years old <laughs> and uh i was uh you know thankfully that happened at that time but i was i was just kind of brought up wrong taught wrong in a couple of different denominations and the, the new birth wasn't ever talked about and uh being a new creation and totally turning away from the old life and being reborn, that just wasn't ever talked about. And so <clears throat> as a grown man, I just go on with my life and all. And then finally, uh, I was confronted by a pastor in private, and 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 he told me, he said, I don't think the Spirit lives in you. And it, it angered me but made me curious what he meant. And I studied it mm-hmm. studied it. I begged God to show me what I was missing, and in the summer of 2008, I was born again. And there's no mm-hmm. doubt in my mind. Now, what I'm um, 10 years later <clears throat> in a depression the last couple of weeks because of the zeal that God lit in me, the passion, the zeal, the, the, the wanting to talk to people about eternity. I don't see it in hardly anybody I hang out with. And I'm talking about church folks I hang out with. Mm-hmm. And it, I've had a couple of friends die in the last, people outside the church, outside the faith, a couple of friends die in the last few months that I know were not, they, they were not born again. And and my zeal couldn't save them. My zeal couldn't, you know, it's up to God. I understand that. But part of the, the frustration is I just, we seem so lackadaisical. So many people I know that claim the faith. A lot of them say they've been born again since they were a baby and all that stuff. You know, I've been a Christian my whole life. And uh, we just, you know, hit the ground running and go watch the ball game instead of hit the ground running and go make disciples. You know what I mean? And it's really yes, hurting me, and I cry, and I'm a grown man, and I cry like a baby about it. And and I know the answer is get in the Word and find another brother to communicate with every day and, and talk to Jesus about it. I, I know that's the answer, but I'm struggling. I'm really struggling. Yeah.
3: Well, let me let me help, Jim. And I, I, I so appreciate your call because I love the story. I, I think, Jim, that... Uh, and I'm just going to throw out a number. I think more than 50% of the people that are going to be in churches in San Antonio, Texas this coming Sunday are in the condition that you were in, in church, involved with people, um, uh, regular in your attendance, but without the Spirit of God. And and the reason is because it's simply not taught and um, equally um, Responsible, it's the fact that we like to sin and we, we 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 view salvation sort of as an eternal life insurance policy. So there's no real urgency. Oh, I'm okay. I go to church. I'm a good person. Uh, none of that um, is is going to get us to the level of being accepted into heaven. And it's just easier to go through life doing what we want to do, uh, believing God is okay with it. And I, again, I think that describes half the people that will be sitting in church, uh, all churches, uh, this coming Sunday. So here's here's your mission, and, and your your emotional condition uh, is is always going to be tied to a sense of mission, and your responsibility. Uh, is to be sort of a New Testament version of a watchman on the wall. Your job is to tell people that they need to be born again. Your job is to share your testimony. Jim, if you'll go to a a last Friday night study that I did uh, when the Apostle Paul shared his testimony in Acts chapter 22, um, I, I really think the Lord will encourage you. But the idea is testimonies have power. And there will always be somebody who listens. There will be a lot of people who don't want to listen, and a lot of people reject. That's between them and the Lord. But what you understand is you've still fulfilled your mission. When those those people who died stand before Jesus, they will be without excuse, and you will have been the instrument that God uses to make it so, so that his judgment is just. He will be able to say, You rejected the messenger I sent. I sent Jim, my faithful servant, and you said no. And because you said, no, depart from me, for I never knew you. And of course, then they enter into an eternity of torment. Now, for you, Jim, the idea is to take the pressure away from having to have results. Uh, We're such a a, a result-oriented civilization that, that if we don't get the result we want, we must have done something wrong. Um, your message is only intended for the hearts of those who have been prepared by the Holy Spirit. And what you have to do is accept that. God is using you. He'll bring, use you to bring some to faith in Christ, but he will use others simply so that their condemnation will be just. Now, we're compassionate. Our hearts hurt because we love people. That's the heart of God in you. And what you do then is just say, My job, I'm going to do my job. Jesus, this is just between me and you. And then what will happen is that that Jesus' pleasure in your service to him will replace the sadness that you experience in losing people. We'll always have both. We're going to be sad, but we do the best that we can. The other thing that I think is important to share with you, Jim, is that that uh, when we look out at other people, um, boy, they're not zealous. They're not passionate about the Lord. They're, they're simply, there's no sense of urgency. Um, we have a tendency to get dragged down into their morass. Instead, what we do is we replace that emotional sense of sadness with, with a zeal for prayer for them. Lord, I love this person or, or I've known this person for all these years and, and now they're sick. God, please, please go get them and and, and really continue in prayer. Now, two, two reasons for that. Obviously, God has put the prayer in your heart for the people because he doesn't want them to go to hell. Isaiah 28 says, Judgment is a strange work for God. It's not the one thing he wants to do. I say often, literally, that we have to go over his dead body to get to hell. But But for you, the benefit will be that as you are praying, you're with Jesus. And depression is something the enemy will try to use, discouragement, disappointment. And we have to learn to fight continually. And the way we do that is to be with Jesus. In His presence there is the fullness of joy. In His presence, and there's no other place. The joy of the Lord is my strength. When you don't feel strong, His joy in you will motivate you to service. And what happens is as you serve the Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Jim. And when the power of the Spirit comes upon you, um, the enemy has no answer. But it's a lethargy or a depression that you've got to shake, and you do that by serving. You know, there's times when I have been physically sick, other times when my heart has been broken, times when, honestly, if it were up to me and my flesh, I'd say, I don't feel like going to church. Paula would say, you have to go, you're the pastor. Um, times when my heart is so troubled with some of the things that are going on. It is a a, a privilege to carry this burden. I know those are two things that sound oxymoronic, but... Um, The pain in other people's lives is the single biggest pain, source of pain in my life. And there's times when I I just want to think, well, what's the point? But when I take a step of obedience and I do what I'm supposed to do or when I do what I'm called to do, then depression has no place. It just goes away. I take the step of faith, God meets me there, and he'll do that with you. And Jim, you have a really powerful testimony to tell. To have been saved at forty two. I got saved just before my fortieth birthday. To get saved at forty two years of age, to, to be born again, to have a pastor who cared so deeply about you or a friend in the church, I can't remember who you said, but 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 to have that man come to you and say, I don't think the spirit of God lives in you. He must have been listening to your language. You must have watched the way you, 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 you've been living your life. He knew something was missing. It's sort of like the Apostle Paul when he encountered, and if he, in uh, Acts chapter 19, the uh, the the, uh, the group from Ephesus, um, he said, you know, uh, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? We don't even know what a Holy Spirit is. He noticed something was missing. And uh, that testimony, because there was a man who cared enough to tell me that I wasn't born again, I'm now born again and my heart is filled with joy. And that testimony will be something that God uses over and over and over and over in your life. So don't give in to discouragement or depression. Don't dwell on it. Open your Bible. Find out how much God loves you all over again. And be invigorated by the power of the Holy Spirit. Stay connected to Jesus. Be with Him. And your joy will return it won't be easy there will be difficulties there will be times when you cry so much that you don't have any tears left but in the middle there will be Jesus because that's the heart in you that's crying for the people that are lost that Jim is a great call an important one thank you very very much here is a question anonymous I know God hates divorce, but if your spouse cheats and is not repentant, is it okay to divorce? Yes, it is. Now, two things. God hates divorce, but he also hates the fact that your spouse cheated. He hates even more that your spouse is not repentant. So if God gives you the freedom to divorce, then you have the freedom to do that and move on. Now, the one thing, Anonymous, I would tell you to do, I would tell you to seek God diligently before making any decision you don't have to make a decision quickly if my husband or or, or I'm sorry a husband or a wife in a marriage were, were, were unrepentant then there might be a time to say you know you need to go uh, I'm gonna pray I don't know what to do but you just need to go if you're not even sorry for what you did how you've broken my heart then you just need to give me some space now The Lord knows the future, and in this exact situation, I've had the Lord tell some to stay in the marriage, don't divorce, I've had God tell others they have the freedom to divorce. People say, well that's inconsistent, no, God knows the future, He knows what your spouse is going to do, He knows where your spouse's heart is, and if He gives you the freedom to divorce, then do it and do so without guilt. Don't let anybody try to talk you out of it. If you know that God has given you the freedom to divorce, and that's the desire of your heart, then it's not on you, it's on your unrepentant spouse. On the other, and this is the really hard one, on those occasions where God says, stay in the marriage, He told Paula for 13 years to stay in our marriage. He also knows the future. And He has a reason for it. I have a precious lady in our church. She's been here for, since she was a teenager, since she was like 16 years old, and she's almost 40 now. Um, Her husband, who cheated repeatedly, um, God told her to stay. Now, from a human perspective, what we would conclude is that God's going to get him and fix him and restore the marriage that didn't happen she stayed for five years and then God gave her the freedom to divorce doesn't make sense to us but it made perfect sense to God and Anonymous this woman is married to one of the nicest men on the earth right now and um, um, even sort of a late in life baby was a blessing from the Lord for him, and uh, and I just love uh, I just love the fact that that God rewarded her obedience. So He does hate divorce, uh, but He also hates unrepentant sin. And if God gives you the freedom to divorce, do it, and don't let anybody make you feel guilty because you do it. Three four Let's go to Tim from Live Oak Tim, thanks for calling, you're on the air
4: Yes, uh, Pastor I had a question basically dealing with the fantasy world of movies the, You have a Harry Potter on one side which I clearly know is wrong because of witchcraft but you have Lord of the Rings on the other side, but since they said it was written by a Christian, they accept that. I don't know if there's much of a difference, maybe you can help me with that exactly what is being shown to people with these two different types of movies and books and such.
3: I, I can, Tim. Thank you very much, Tim. If you will stay tuned into your radio, uh, I'll get it on the other side of the break. We're coming up to our first break. You're listening to the Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Three four zero ninety five eighty five is our number for your calls. We will be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes.
1: the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: Welcome
3: back to the second half of the program. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. I want to answer Tim's question from Live Oak. um, A question about movies, the Harry Potter series versus... Uh, Lord of the Rings, Tolkien, uh, and Tolkien was a Christian. Uh, I think the difference is one movie. Uh, now, and let me uh, let me say this to, to begin. I'm not a pastor who tells people what to do, what to see, what they can't see. Uh, that's not my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. I think movies dealing with witchcraft or books dealing with witchcraft are dangerous. I think people uh, are sometimes messing around with the spirit world that they don't really know enough about and aren't equipped to deal with. I think it's one of the ways that the enemy attacks, especially kids, uh, in the sense that he opens them up to a a world uh, that is made to appear to be attractive and exciting and adventurous, uh, only to spring a trap on them later in their lives. So I, I would steer very, very clear of Harry Potter things. Now half of the world is going to hate me for saying this. I think we fall into the same traps with sci-fi. I think sometimes we can watch things that are so anti-God and carry a a, a hidden message that's not really all that hidden, and yet we we hardly endorse those kinds of movies, and and I think we find some difficulty. The, The Lord of the Rings movies, the Tolkien's movies, There's a Christian message in the movie, we deal with uh, some of the realities of the world that we live in, Uh, but those are things where you've got to exercise discernment. So staying away from one, um, without endorsing the other, uh, I think it's a matter, I'm not one Tim who thinks that if you watch Harry Potter movies you're going to hell. Um, All things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial ought to be the rule that we follow. Um, C.S. Lewis, the Narnia series, and, and um, uh, the books, the screw letters and things, those are things that we just have to have sort of a, a solid foundation in what we believe, uh, and then we can sort of venture into those areas if they're of interest to you, but we have to just be really, really careful. I have far more trouble, Tim when Christians go watch movies where God's name is taken in vain that's something I'll never understand um, Paul and I had to walk out of a movie just um, a couple of weeks ago um, uh, we looked at a review for it and didn't see there was any references to taking God's name in vain and uh, we were in the movie for probably 45 minutes and there it was and uh, have to get up and walk out um, I would much prefer for the church and Christians to be vocal about that than the anti Harry Potter crusades that they went on in years past. So uh, I, I think these are personal issues. Hebrew, uh, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 14, verse 23 says anything that's not of faith is sin. Uh, and if, if you can go in good conscience and watch Harry Potter and you can, can discern the difference between evil spirits and, and, and the spirit of God, um, then you, you're free to do it. Nobody should say anything to you. On the other hand, if you know that it's wrong or if you feel like that's just not something you should do it, and you do it anyway, I think then we've gone into that difficult territory of sin. Um, it's not that Tolkien was a Christian. It's that the movie or the series has a Christian message. It's a condition of the world. Let me give you a reference for a movie, a a review. Um, Les Miserables, uh, not the movie, not the musical, but the the movie, it was nominated for Academy Award, and and, uh, some of the actors were nominated for Academy Award. Liam Nielsen was uh, in the movie um it is a movie that basically from start to finish is Romans 5 6 7 with an ending in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 so rent it find it it's 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 just a, a great great presentation of that. I know you didn't care to ask about that Tim but gave me the opportunity to share about it. Thank you very very much Let's go to another question Raymond says I know God always hears our prayers but if he doesn't answer does it mean that he has given up on us and then why wouldn't God answer my prayers? Well Raymond let me start with that one because there's a lot of reasons God won't answer your prayers the way you want them answered Now, I want that distinction to be important to you because God always answers prayers. He says yes, He says no, He says wait. But He always answers our prayers. Um, The reason He wouldn't answer the way you want Him to is in large part because you're praying for your will instead of His will. You're asking Him to do something for you instead of asking Him, Lord, what do you want me to do? And there's going to be a lot of times when when we're praying even the right thing but with the wrong motive when God can't answer our prayer. He's trying to change us, He's trying to to demonstrate His love for us by withholding that which He knows will hurt us. So that's the reason that you wouldn't get the answer you want, but remember, Raymond, He always answers your prayers. Now. When you don't get an answer, does it mean he gives up on you? Absolutely, he never does. I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus said that if God hears our prayers, and that would be prayers in his will, then we have this confidence. We know that what we ask for, he will do. He also tells us, though, that we're to persist in prayer, not to give up. So here's what I would Suggest that you do, Raymond, I would reevaluate your motives for prayer. James, the Lord's half brother, said, We ask not because we, or, I said, we have not because we ask not, or because we ask amiss, or with the wrong motive. So let God examine your heart. How well do you know Him, Raymond? Are you in the Word? Are you spending time with Him in prayer that doesn't include you asking Him for things? Do you spend time just gratefully praising Him for delivering you from the penalty of sin by taking the punishment you deserved? Are you somebody who's committed to serving Him, giving Him your whole... examine the motives of your heart and then keep asking you know one of the, my favorite verses is the Apostle Paul saying with thanksgiving make your request known to God so I know Raymond that anything and everything that I need to ask for if it comes from a grateful heart I'm free to do that now I have to be able to deal with God being free to say no to what I'm asking for and still keep a grateful heart, if I can do that then then God's going to begin answering some prayers. But He's going to change the content of your prayers and the focus of your prayers. You know, I start every day, Raymond, praying for me and Paul, that's the first thing. we got a picture uh, in our house um, of uh, Paul and I on vacation. We're sitting on a rock at the beach, and she's got her legs across my legs and s- kind of sitting on my lap and kind of sitting on the rock. It looks like kind of a pre- per- uh, precarious position. And she's holding on to me, and I've got my arms around her. And, and to all the world, it looks like that, that she's holding on to me, and I'm holding her up, you know, like I'm the, I'm the man of the house. But in my mind, behind that picture is Jesus holding us up. And then we're seated on this big rock. And I tell the Lord, you're that rock. So keep us there, Lord. Keep us in that place. And then I'm free to say, Lord, your will. In all these matters I'm going to bring before you, your will, not mine, be done. And if you get to that place and you continue to pray and you're okay with whatever answer God gives, I promise you you're going to start getting answers to prayers that are going to blow your mind. So, Raymond, I hope that helps a little bit. Here is another anonymous question. Pastor do you think that small children, maybe five to ten years of age, can really believe in Jesus and be saved? Yeah, I do, Anonymous, but uh, not every five-year-old or ten-year-old who, who makes a profession of faith really is saved. Uh, I heard a news story today. Um, um, I, I, I didn't hear enough of it to know where it happened, but it was on, on our local news station. And it was a little boy who everything, fell out of a tree and he fell down through a, 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 a stake of some sort and it went through his head. I mean, it, he had been to be taken to the hospital. And this little boy, uh, I think he was six, this little boy said to his mom, I'm going to die, am I going to die? And here's what he said, I want to see Jesus, but not now. There's a kid who got it. That's a kid who is genuinely saved. We have kids in our church that have grown up here. Some of them have been saved from three and four years of age and walked it their entire lives. And they had an understanding. It wasn't just an emotional thing because they were at vacation Bible school or something and the other kids were doing it. They understood. When I asked these kids, I say, well, why do you need to be saved? Well, because I do a lot of bad stuff and Jesus doesn't want me to do bad stuff. Kids can get it. But there are some who just don't get it, and yet they just kind of go along with the crowd. So it's different anonymous for every child. Some have the capacity to believe at a very young age. Um, Others do not. The one thing I can tell you this, is this, that God takes their profession of faith seriously and God will follow them and when they reach the age of accountability and that's different for every kid but when they reach that age Jesus will be there knocking on the door of their heart. And those kids are still going to face tests and trials. I tell our church here all the time That there's going to be a tree of choice in every child's life. The kid that's grown up with the Lord and served him and followed him, he's going to, or she's going to go out and have to make a choice in the real world. When they go to work, they go to college, whatever it is, there's always going to be those tests and trials. And mom and dad's faith is never enough anonymous. At some point in their life, they're going to have to have their own experience with God. And that's a good thing. So I hope that helps. Here is a question from Wendy. She wants to know why does God heal some and not others? Is there any fairness in it? Well, we don't have to have uh, answers for these questions, Wendy. Um, Why did God not deliver his son? Jesus was hung on a cross. Twelve legions of angels stood at the ready, and not one moment did the Father consider sending those angels on a rescue mission. So I could ask you the question, why didn't God deliver his own son? Why would God let John and James have very different endings? The sons of thunder, part of Jesus' inner circle, John lived to be in his mid-90s. James was the first of the apostles martyred for their faith. James was in prison and beheaded. When Peter was in prison shortly after that, immediately after that, in fact, God sent an angel to deliver him. Why? You see, here's the thing. We have to have a faith that deals with both responses. We have to have a faith that says, Lord, thy will, not my will, be done. We've got to be joyful. We've got to continue in the faith, regardless of whether I'm the one who's healed or not. So these are the the issues that we've got to wrestle with in our own minds, because if our faith is only a faith that, that survives when we get positive answers, then that's really no faith at all. We need to develop a faith that deals with both extremes so some people heals we have so many people in our church you know as your church gets large um, you get to know so many people and they're hurting so much Paula sent me an email today giving me an update on one of the ladies in the church and and, uh, looking for cancer and um, we've got some 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 of the most faithful God-loving women uh, in our church ever three of them that I pray for continually throughout the days Um, who are really, really, really struggling and suffering with cancer. I hate the word. And we beg God to heal. We pray for the miracle. But we also pray for the grace to live if the miracle isn't forthcoming. Our faith, if it's real, accepts both extremes. hope that makes some sense to you, Wendy. I think the concept sometimes of, well, God needs to heal when it's somebody I know or somebody I care about or when it's me, I think that's a very immature faith. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls. Here's another anonymous question. I've got Two, two anonymous question. Well, let me. Okay. Uh, what do I do if I don't love my spouse any longer? Anonymous, what you do, now I'm assuming you're a Christian. That's why you asked me the question. What you do is repent. It's that simple. Repent. You're wrong. Jesus says, love your husbands, love your wives. So you're in violation of that command. Now, I'm not talking about feeling emotionally, you know lovey-dovey towards somebody I'm talking about the decision to love your spouse the way Jesus decided to love you what if Jesus came to your house now this doesn't tell me whether it's a man or a woman what if Jesus came to your house and said you know what I really loved you before but I'm out of love with you so I'm going to take back my offer of heaven That would be a terrifying moment, wouldn't it? Well, when we say to him, but I don't love him anymore, I don't love her anymore. In essence, that's what we're doing. It just proves that our love was always conditional. It proves that our love was only really about us and never a love that was of benefit to them. Our love was self-seeking. 1 Corinthians 13 says that love is just the opposite of self-seeking. So the only thing you can do is repent and decide to love your wife or your, or your husband. The, the, the repentance is between you and God. Against thee and the only have I sinned, O God, is what David said. He also said, because he was honest in his repentance, he also said, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation renew within me a right spirit Psalm 51 if you'll do that then what will happen is God will set your heart on fire again for your spouse but it is the most selfish thing that somebody can say and I've had this a hundred times over the years well I love her or I love him but I'm no longer in love with them I don't have goosebumps so I'm going to put them away I'm gonna find somebody who gives me goosebumps. God wants me to be happy. That is the most selfish prayer that we could ever have. So I beg you, I urge you to repent, because if you don't, your heart is gonna get harder and harder and harder, and you are going to be really, really sorry. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question from Gloria. Um, please pray for my family. We are going through a difficult time right now. Well, Gloria, you don't give us any more information from that, but uh, I promise you I will be praying, and even now I'm going to show through a quick prayer. Lord, you know the circumstances. You know everything that Gloria and her family are going through. So we ask you, Jesus, to intervene. Wrap your arms around the Christians in this family. Remind them that you're always there, that your grace is sufficient. And whatever the needs are, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, meet Gloria and her family where they are. Take their hand and take them to the place you want them to be. Please, O God, we ask you on her behalf. Amen. Gloria, I will keep you in my prayers. If you don't mind, keep us posted. Um, You can do it anonymously if you would like to do that. Here is a question, another anonymous. Well, i got a phone call first, so let me go there. Uh, Let's go to Judy on line one from San Antonio. Judy, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
2: Thank you for your help and your information, always, Pastor Ron.
3: Uh, My pleasure, Judy.
2: I have a question about my marriage with my husband. He says he's a Christian, but yet he doesn't show it or live it. I mean, I'm not Mm -hmm. his judge, but I know I've been with him for 40-something years. And I keep trying to do what's right and everything, but it seems like his anger has got just worse and he's sliding down to he's resentful to me now and bitterness and everything. I tell him really to go get help. He needs his anger help. He's refusing everything. I try to help him. And now he's beginning dementia, which is bad in the situation. Mm. But then when I remind him of things to do, like take his pill or he's got an appointment, that anger comes out. And I tell him he has to deal with that anger, but it's getting so hard on me. I mean, I just pray to keep going and everything, but yeah. it's like he's so rebellious with me.
3: Yeah. Judy, can I ask you a question? Is he uh, under medical care for the dementia? Yes. Okay. Um, Boy, Judy, I just added you to my prayer list as well because I. I Thank you. That's why I think keeping me going. Yeah, I, I know firsthand how difficult this is. Uh, very often, as uh, as we age and we get into dementia or or Alzheimer's, uh, people just get really mean. There's a chemical change in the brain. Uh, our ability to process information isn't the same. Um, uh, and it, and it's, it really is an endurance race. Um, so, so for that reason alone, I'll be praying for you. Um, having said that, um, you're a really good judge of your husband's heart, having been with him for so long. And if he's not saved, instead of telling him what he needs to do, keep doing two things. First, living Jesus in your home and talking about Jesus in your home. Um, let him find you with a with an open Bible. Let him find you um, uh, bringing him um, his favorite meal or, or stocking the refrigerator at your home with his favorite things. Love him into the kingdom of God. Now, there's a couple of motives here, Judy. Uh, when we get old, and especially when the dementia process begins, we don't have a whole bunch of time. And right now, you're at the position where God can use you uh, more intimately than anybody else with your husband, so love him. First Peter chapter three uh, should be your 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 anthem for life. Um, love him, win him over without words by rightly representing the Lord and having the joy of the Lord in your life. Don't let His meanness or His um, demanding um, um, nature, don't let that Him steal your joy. And here's what I'm saying. I'm not speaking for the Lord here and I'm not prophesying, so please don't misunderstand this. But um, I, I, I get a sense of urgency here. Like, like there won't be a whole bunch of time um, for, uh, for him, he, he needs to come to faith in Jesus Christ and um, to have gone to church to be a good person, people in our age bracket, and I'm assuming if you've been married that long, um, you're in our age bracket uh, Paul and I will be married uh, 46 years this coming Sunday and um, you know with the, the time that he has left, uh, you are God's evangelist in your home. So you need to be closer to Jesus than ever before. You need to die to yourself every single day. In fact, every minute, every hour of every day. And in the process, God will be working on your husband. him getting to heaven, Judy, is far greater a priority than him being nicer to you. I know it's hard. I know it's tough. You stay involved with church. You surround yourself with people that are serving the Lord uh, together. Um, You stay focused on Jesus and the work that he's got for you outside the home because inside the home, honestly, there's just not going to be a whole lot of satisfaction until that day when he says, I need Jesus. You heard the first phone call of 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 the program today from... Jim, uh, who was in church his whole life, and at uh, 42 years of age, somebody comes to him and says, uh, I don't think the Spirit of God lives in you. Um, Your husband needs to see that, and unfortunately for you, the contrast between your life and his, your joy and his lack of joy, your peace and his anger, that contrast is going to to preach a a message. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Calvary Chapel. So Judy, I'll be praying for you. Keep us posted if you would. Uh, Thanks for spending. Okay, there we go. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. Thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you tomorrow at 4 o'clock.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at CalvarySA.com. The word to stand on for life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.
0: Do it online at AM630theword.com. The following is a true story. My name is David Bryant. When I was 37, my wife and I decided to get term life insurance through SelectQuote. Just three years later, I was diagnosed with ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. Because of life insurance, the people I love most in this world will be protected no matter what happens to me. I know that the dreams I have for my family can still come true. Financial security, to stay in the home we became a family in, and for our children to be able to go to college. I reached out to SelectQuote because I wanted to share my story. If just one person purchases life insurance, I know I will have made a difference. SelectCo can find a 37-year-old male a $500,000 policy for under a dollar a day. If there are people you care about, you need life insurance. It may be the single most important financial decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.